0: My purpose right now is to do things that are in line with my values and make every single decision that I make in line with my values, of which I have six. Courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, and loyalty, all wrapped up in this ball of faith. (laughs) Um, Everyone that I hang out with, uh, the folks that I get to work with, um, the kind of decisions that I make, you know, I ask myself, like, am I being courageous? Um, am I being loyal um, to, you know, my family's needs, my people's needs, et cetera, my practicing good judgment? Um, is this inspiring? Um, and if I can do all of that um, while celebrating something that I care about, which is um, kind of black economic empowerment, like I feel like I'm, that narrative is leading me to, you know, that continued celebration.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Disruptor Studio where we have unique in-depth discussions with leaders that inspire innovation, transformation, and greatness. I am Alex Gonzalez and I know you will be inspired today after you hear Tristan Walker here on the Disruptor Studio. It was about six years ago when I first heard and actually saw live Tristan Walker at an innovation conference I was going to. And he was telling his story about being in the Silicon Valley and about his new brand he was launching, Bevel, under his Walker and Company's brand. Since then, Tristan has gone on to not only having his company have great success having it become part of Procter & Gamble and the first black CEO within the Procter & Gamble system and uh, becoming part of uh, the board of directors of companies like Shake Shack and Foot Locker and so much more. But Tristan continues to inspire and he is extremely purposeful. We have so much we could talk to and I wish we had five hours to talk with Tristan, but there's a few things we touch on today include about kind of his dream as a kid of his goal being wanting to be wealthy. We talk about his journey to the venture capital world, his purpose around driving black economic empowerment. Of course, we talk about being part of a big organization in PG and how he stays entrepreneurial as well um, in terms of while well, he's part of a big company. And then I love having the discussion about his purpose and what drives him. There's so much richness. And really what makes Tristan as a leader that is so inspiring. And and we get to have some fun talking to Tristan about some things that he likes, including his favorite books and poetry. So listen now to Tristan Walker on The Disruptor Studio. Tristan, hello, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
1: (laughs) Good. Well, welcome to the Disruptor Studio. It's great to have you on here. Um, And in fact, um, you know, it's funny that I was getting ready for this. I was kind of looking back through kind of my, you know, calendar uh, and so forth. And I remember in 2014 being in San Francisco, and I believe you were on stage at the Fast Company Innovation Mm -hmm. Festival. and that's the first time I heard your story, and and of course I've been a fan of yours since then. How have these last six years been? How, how, you know, if you think about, because you were on the cover of Fast Company, and you're on stage with Fast Company, and I've actually heard from some entrepreneurs they're saying that could sometimes be a curse or it could be a blessing. Okay. Oh <laughs> and obviously, we'll go into your story and all that, but just just kind of you know, if you think about, you know, your six years since then, how how's it how's it been going?
0: Um. It's an incredible blessing. I am fortunate to be able to do something that I'm passionate about uh, for an audience I care deeply about uh, with a narrative that has been consistent since and even before. Um, You know, when I think about my career, you know, there have been really three things that um, I've cared deeply about. Number one, the demographic shifts happening in this country and the Mm -hmm. cultural influence of um, black folks around the world. Um, technology and its impact, not only on corporations, but also on the quote-unquote unseen or forgotten. Um, And then third, um, I love brands, but particularly brands being a force for good in the world. Um, And I've been very fortunate um, that, you know, folks like Fast Company and others have, um, have, uh, like, that message has been resonant. Um, and it just gives me so much spirit, um, to continue in that narrative that I believe so passionately about. So I'm just lucky, uh, and fortunate, uh, to continue to tell that story.
1: And, you know, it's, it's interesting as you kind of go through that, I, I think it kind of really hit why I kind of connected with you on stage and with your story for so, I mean, there's so many reasons, but. Um, but also what Fast Company has done a good job with as well. But that, that inflection, one, I love that you're able to, as we go into your story here, that you're able to show that tech is more than just tech yeah. and and brand and design and all these things could come together to create something compelling. And there's there's stories to be told and there's stories to connect with. So so just in that little summary there, it reminded, you took me back to that moment when you're on stage in 2014. Cool. And, you know, it's funny, you know, was, and you know, it's funny, I was looking at the agenda, you know who was right after you on stage? It was um, exactly. it was Coca-Cola, we're talking about Fairlife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Funny, <laughs> they're still around. So you know, there's just so something to say. Funny. Of course, another another Atlanta. Hell, who would have thought in 2014 you would have had two two Atlanta Bevel and uh, and uh, and Coca-Cola on stage next to each other.
0: So <laughs> hey, full circle. You know, it's funny enough. My my very yeah. first article that was ever written about the company was you know Tristan Walker's building the Procter and Gamble for people of color. So you talk about full circle. It's oh, it's man. Um, yeah, it's a part of the blessing. You know, yeah.
1: Well, well, let's, let's kind of get, uh, you know, um, let's get grounded here. And despite you being on, you know, Fast Company and, and, and of course, on many other platforms, um, if, if for someone who does not know you or heard about your company, and obviously you're CEO of Walker and Company. So but t- 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 uh, tell me about, you know, kind of how you describe what you do and, and talk a little bit about your company.
0: Sure. So, you know, Walker Company was founded in 2013. Uh, We merged with Procter and Gamble in 2018. Walker Company was really started with the goal to make healthy beauty simple for people of color. We wanted to make products that worked um, with a design experience um, that was second to none. Uh, that, um, you know, made folks of color feel like they belonged in the stores in which they were shopping, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for for way too long, um, you know, for 30 years of my life, I didn't have any of those experiences, particularly as it related to personal care. Um, And when I consider not only the cultural influence of black consumers, um, the purchasing power of black consumers, (laughs) right, yeah. Um, and the respect uh, for kind of great products that work uh, with brands that tell an authentic story for them. It was a no brainer for me. Um, and to leverage everything that I had learned up until that point in technology to deliver an experience, even online, uh, to consumers that was wonderful and delightful uh, and special. Um, so, yeah, at Walker Company, we developed a suite of brands. Uh, we're most well known for Bevel um, that solve problems. Um, so Bevel was started to help eliminate issues related to irritation, razor bumps, et cetera. Um, and we did just that. We, had, we were, at least our shave system, the first and only intense shaving system designed to help eliminate razor bumps and irritation, right? Which right. is a crazy thing to think about after 100 years of the industry. Right. Um, and now Bevel has really morphed into a desire um, to be the number one trusted brand of personal care solutions to black men in the United States. Um, so we've been very fortunate to kind of scale that out um, with a still consistent message throughout.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it is amazing when you mentioned that about, you know, something that's been an issue for over 100 years. And here you come to innovate. Um, now, we're going to talk about how you got over to the Valley. But this was this was a consumer products company that was born in the Valley, essentially. Um so, talk a little bit about kind of the birth of the company because it's it's um, sure it's kind of like a tech story into CPG, which I think is pretty interesting. But how did it come about? And you know, is this something that you've been thinking about the, even while you were in school and all that, or is this something that you really developed? You know, while you're out there in the valley,
0: that just came up. Um, you know, before I started the company, you know, I was, I was going to business school. Um, you know, I spent some time at Twitter, and then spent both of my time after that at Foursquare um and you know i got enamored with silicon valley after foursquare i joined a venture capital firm in recent hours and i tried to think about what i wanted to do um next i had nine months to yeah. figure that out um the first seven months were pretty unsuccessful to that end you know it took me seven months to really realize that i should be doing the thing that i was uniquely capable of doing and had a, a story of authenticity um that would make it make sense um, and uh, you know, January of 2013 at the time, I just got fed up um, with shaving. Huh. Um, and that's just a personal thing. Um, right. You know, every single way I encountered facial hair removal was terrible. No one was making products that worked for my hair type, skin type, etc. cetera. Um, and I felt that it was time for change. Um, it was around a time when um, kind of direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses was really on a tear, doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got to see being at the venture capital firm some of the pitches for those uh, D2C e-commerce companies and really got a sense for you know how these companies were growing, um, you know, gaps in the market that they saw. And I saw my own, and I felt that it was a wide open opportunity for me to do it for an audience that I know intimately well, and I'm a consumer myself. Mm-hmm. Um and that, you know, made it, it just it became obvious to me to pursue that um, because I knew. If I was doing something that I felt uniquely capable of doing, that I felt like I was the best person in the world to do at that time, and um, you know I was going to be fulfilled uh, throughout that entire experience. And fortunately, you know I had a few venture capitalists that you know were supportive of that.
1: Of course, with Anderson Horowitz, you know, as as you know, big and influential of a venture capital firm as as you could you could have. Um, how did you? And maybe even stepping back, how did you get? Um, uh, you know, become, I believe, an entrepreneur in residence in Anderson Horowitz because that in itself is, is quite an accomplishment. You know, how, how did yeah, you so, make that connection?
0: Yeah, so Ben Horowitz is on the board of Foursquare. And, um, okay. you know, when I told Dennis, the CEO of Foursquare, I was leaving, um, you know, he asked me what I was doing. I, at that point, I said, you know, I had a few venture capitalists that um, uh, were offering me this opportunity. So I didn't have anything kind of solid, yeah. but I knew that I would have something. I, I knew um, I wanted to go out and try to start something myself and see if I can run a business myself as well, taking all of that thankfully from, um, from Dennis to do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I left, uh, Dennis sent a note to the board, Ben reached out to me he said, you know, come spend some time in my house. Um, let's talk. Hmm. Um, you know, I told him what I was thinking as it relates to being an entrepreneur in and He's like, "Oh, come <laughs> deal with us. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it's something I hadn't thought about. Um, and, you know, once he said it, I quickly accepted um, and it made a lot of sense. And usually kind of entrepreneurs and residents, um, you know, they'll go out, help the venture capital firm source deals, you know, go into meetings, that sort of thing. And I told Ben, you know, that wasn't what I was looking to do. I'm here to start a company and learn to run one. Um, so, you know, fortunately, they gave me a flexible setup to allow me to do it where I can go in and, you know, sit in on certain meetings if I wanted to. I can, you know, participate in partner meetings, so I get to learn how they invest in certain companies, the things they look for, the things they right. don't like, um, and it was a really great kind of nine months of learning for me.
1: So, um, so then I'm thinking, you know, kind of you're you're, you're there in the, in the entrepreneurial residence role. It gives you a lot of, um, you know, access, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. Now, in my head, if I think about even 2014, the you know I always think, you know, SaaS rules for venture capital and repeatable revenue. So, if I think about what uh, the story you were starting to pitch and for the idea of the company. So, there's a couple of variables here. Now, we have, a, you know, what might be seen. Uh, this is CPG. And then also going to a customer segment that my guess a lot of venture capitalists did not really understand, perhaps, you know, good you know the solution. Yeah, 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 you know, I'm just being <laughs> I'm giving you a little room to get a little room to expand here. So talk about that. That, that is interesting here, because and obviously you're successful because here we are. So how, how did that journey go? Because there's a lot of variables kind of somewhat
0: against you. You're right. Um, and they continue to be stacked against me. Number sure. one, venture capitalists didn't represent the audience that we served. Number two, um, is it a tech business? Is it a CPG business? It was never a tech business. Uh, three, right. remember, I, I had an, an intimate view into how other direct-to-consumer businesses were actually pitching themselves and what was resonant and what wasn't. And I also got to hear in partner meetings what was resonant and what wasn't. Now, so I had to adapt my pitch to fit that. Yeah, right. And, and honestly, it was a good idea. As much yeah. as other people didn't believe that it was, it just it it was a good idea. Um, it was filling a hole in the market that was needed with uh, a founder that represented the audience that was going to serve, with the ability and capacity to raise the money for it. Now, if um, you know, I don't need all the investors in the world to invest in it, but just a certain amount to raise the money that I needed to get started. Right. Um, and then at that point, it was kind of off to the races for us. Now, it was not easy to raise that money, but we did. Um, and um, at least even to this day, um, there really aren't any other competitors in our category focused on the types of problems uh, that we're trying to solve. It's it's really interesting. Um, yeah. And when you get a sense for it's not necessarily first mover, but in this category for an audience that's not ref- that's not reflective of the diversity that we're serving right in the in the venture capital world was really interesting first mover advantage for us um, because the first mover in that space is going to be the last mover in that space um, yeah. because until the venture capital world gets a little bit more diverse um, they were going to be less inclined to fund other folks doing the same things because the argument would have been let's see how well Tristan does first right. and if I did well it would be too late
1: so, I, so I'd imagine there there were several no's or or you know, there's some rejections or whatever along this journey. Was there ever a point when you were like, okay, this is this is it? I, I don't, I don't, you know, were you were you ever close to give, giving up? Obviously, you did not. But what, what, what was what was was there a low point there where you just maybe were trying to reevaluate what you're what you're doing?
0: Um, from twenty thirteen to twenty seventeen, it was wonderful. 2018 was probably one of the worst years of my life (laughs) Um, because it was, we couldn't raise money. Uh, Mm. The business was growing and we couldn't raise money. Um, You know, the market for fundraising was closing. Um, You know, it was a year that because of it, we had to do a reduction in force um, in order to, you know, kind of provide a path to profitability. And it was also a time when all the large CPG companies were kind of coming out wanting to potentially partner. Now, it, it's weird to reconcile, well, you have all this attention from large CPG companies that want to buy you, right? Isn't that like a wonderfully joyous <laughs> like right. occasion? Um, and in some ways it is, but it was incredibly distracting because once we made the decision to kind of go with the kind of partnership, it's like, you know, you're going going with it, right? right. Um, and you can't focus on your core business as much, among other things, and you're still dealing with the reduction in force. You know, you love your people you want to make sure that they're in an environment where they can thrive. Um, you know, you're, you still in a VC world, have a growth imperative that might not be tied to the type of business that you have. Uh, so it was a very, very challenging, very challenging year. Um, but look at the end of the day, you know, we, we merged on December 12th, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a great kind of end to that year. 90 plus percent of these things do not return a dime back to their investors, Right. I mean, the amount of pride that I had in, like, our offering a return back to our investors, right, um, yeah. was wonderful, right? Like, it's, um, you know, and I am, you know, it's really a story. I've been through everything as an entrepreneur, right? I mean, I've seen a lot. I've been through a right. lot. So now when folks come to me and ask me for advice, I can actually tell them something that's the truth in honest. Right. Um, because I've been through all of those scenarios. And I am, I think... Look, I mean, it's wonderful that I get to sell and merge the company with a company that's been around for 180 years that I respect. It's wonderful that, you know, I'm the first black CEO in their entire history. It's wonderful that they had a willingness to, you know, allow me to run my business autonomously. I'm still the CEO of Walker and Company. We moved our family and business to Atlanta. Um, It's wonderful that, you know, um, you know, there's still a return not only for investors, but also myself and our people. right? Um, so all that stuff, when you kind of think about it, it's like, wow, you know, um, what a wonderful outcome for everybody, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, entrepreneurship is hard. Um, you know, Ben Hart told me something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, Tristan, um, being a CEO sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it does. It really does. Yeah. Um, but being a CEO is the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And I wouldn't see myself doing anything else, you know. And, uh, um, but that preparation for the difficulty was exactly what I needed to get through it, and I've yeah. built a capacity for that—that um, uh, that almost, in a lot of ways, sadistic experience—that <laughs> <laughs> has made me better off um, in the long run in a big way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something with, uh, whether, especially for entrepreneurship, or, or really even I would argue, even for senior management at, at big companies, it is not for everybody.
0: I mean, no, that's definitely
1: not. <laughs> and and, it, and it's interesting you're going not. up get you a know, careers and you see everybody you know when they're twenty two, I'm going to be the CEO of this CEO of that, and it's it's really not for everybody. There's a grid well, that's actually that have.
0: I don't hear that as much. You know, it's funny. I talk about this all the time. I get a lot of folks who come to me asking for advice, right? Particularly yeah. young folks, and they're like, "Tristan, I want to start a company." And then my question back to them is, "Do you want to run it?" Huh. <laughs> right? And and I never get a rebuttal. Like it's always a pause. Interesting. And, like, those are two very different things. Like, you know, starting something and actually kind of running it to its fruition is very different. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the thing that I'm fortunate to know now is what that difference means. So now I can actually kind of get that out of folks. Like, let me tell you what this means. Um, and, you know, it's 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 not for the faint of heart by any stretch of the imagination. And we had a wonderfully wonderful outcome with all the press in the world Right, that was wonderful and positive, and even with that, it was very, very difficult. <laughs> you know. Um, Absolutely.
1: So, yeah. Now, uh, when you were when you were uh, before college, and you were, or when you were a kid, did what did you think you wanted to do? Did you, you see yourself as running a company, or were you, did you have other dreams? <laughs> no, I mean the
0: only dream I had was to get wealthy. No, <laughs> at the which time, is good dream. My, <laughs> which was my upbringing. Um, and there are only a few paths to do it and it was, you know, sports or entertainment. Yeah. It was wall street or it was entrepreneurship. Um, and the first of those two didn't work out. Hmm. You know, I, um, yeah, I was a basketball player. I was decently good at it, but you know, you, I was also decent at statistics too. And you run those odds and you know, getting to the highest level. Yeah. It's lightning in a bottle. Um, also, I worked on Wall Street. I was very fortunate. I was a trader on Wall Street. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> um, you know, it was unfulfilling for me. Um, and you know, I was only left with one option. It was entrepreneurship. Uh, and you know, I applied to Stanford for business school because I know they are pretty well known for it. It was the only place I applied before she got in. And then the rest is history. Um, now, uh, kind of on that journey and my starting company, etc., Like my desire changed, it was no longer a wealth imperative and more kind of values-based and doing things that I felt uniquely capable of doing and authenticity, et cetera. Uh, But that's how it started.
1: Now, um, and as part of this entrepreneurship journey, you kind of alluded a little uh, or somewhat to this when we talked about raising money and kind of the face of entrepreneur or a face of venture capital, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we, we, we know the stats of well over 90% of venture capitalists and venture backed entrepreneurs, you know, are white male and, and just, there's so much, um, so many obstacles and challenges and historical and systemic. So, um, how, you know, what do you, so how do you, how you, how do you, what was your perspective on that kind of going through the valley? And my sense is coming to Atlanta, I think you also believe there's a, there's an opportunity in Atlanta to really shape entrepreneurism in a big way. So talk a little bit about that, because I think it's an important part of your journey here.
0: Not all businesses require venture capital. Right. Um, so I think it's very important to strip away that narrative, right? I mean. Yeah, one of the first questions I get from folks um, after that question around people saying they want to start their company is, Mm -hmm. you know, how do I raise money for it? And then the question that, you know, I always offer back to them is, do you need to? Hmm. And you'd be surprised by how many of those responses get a pause. (laughs) You know, it's like, think this stuff through. It's almost like there's an implicit assumption that they need to raise money. But there's a, a particular assumption that they need to raise venture capital money. Right. Let's remember, you know there are millions of small businesses in the country, right? There are restaurants, there are HVAC companies, there are you know landscaping service businesses, right? And many of those are profitable, thriving, not venture scale. Those owners own 100% of the business, right? Like, so the question is, what's your destiny? You know, there's a, there's a gift in raising money, but they're sure as hell is a curse. Um, once you raise money, you have to return it, right? And that's right. a really <laughs> important and critical, critical uh, POV. Um, so, you know, even in my move to Atlanta, look, I, I don't think it's really any different than what I would really talk anywhere else. It's, there are wonderful opportunities that don't have to be Silicon Valley tech-based and adventure scale to still provide you with the opportunity to earn, to own to learn. Right. Um, and, and for me, you know, I like to say this and I'm, I'm hopeful that I can be put in a position where that is the case where I want to be put in a position where I are, am creating things that wouldn't require my having to raise money for it. Hmm. Right. Um, yeah. now that doesn't mean that there's an inevitability in that happening, but at least that, that point of view forces me to think about things differently because frankly, the numbers are what they are, right? Like, yeah, 1% of black folks get venture capital. So it's very likely, very, very likely that you're not going to get venture capital. Right. <laughs> so knowing that, what would you do? Right. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you are not going to get it. It just means that you're very unlikely to get it. But you shouldn't be disheartened by it. You should, you know, you don't need other people to kind of um, make your destiny real. You know, I raised all that money, I raised $40 million, and I still don't have a competitor in the space. Hmm. So I'm not sure that the raising of all that money prevented my having competitors in the space, (laughs) you know, but it did create kind of a growth imperative that we were not ready for. And we had to make kind of trade-offs that I wouldn't have made otherwise if I owned 100% of the company. Um, So that's like, I mean, I've... um, you know, as I kind of thought about, and I mentioned kind of getting wealthy a little earlier. For me, it's less about wealth and more ownership because ownership provides the pathway to your kind of walking the steps towards your own destiny in a lot of ways yeah. uh, at your own pace. And a lot of people don't understand um, the pressure of returning that money until they have to for the first time.
1: Yeah. So if you were, um, if you were to, just, you know, if you talked about you before, you know, your, your goal or, you know, your objective as, as when you were a kid was becoming wealthy, what would you describe your purpose now? Oh, easy. Uh, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, very easy. And, you know, my purpose right now is to do things that are in line with my values and make every single decision that I make in line with my values, of which I have six. Courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, and loyalty, all wrapped up in this ball of faith right yeah um, everyone that I hang out with, uh, the folks that I get to work with, um, the kind of decisions that I make, you know I ask myself like am I being courageous um, am I being loyal um, to you know my family's needs, my people's needs, et etc am I practicing good judgment um, is this inspiring um, And if I can do all of that, um, while celebrating something that I care about, which is um, kind of black economic empowerment, like, I feel like I'm, that narrative is leading me to you know that continued celebration. Um, and there are so many ways to realize that. Right. You can raise a billion dollars in venture capital. You can raise nothing and you know start a restaurant. <laughs> you, right. you can um, you, know, found a not-for-profit, which I've done, which does the same thing. I could join these public boards that I'm on with that same narrative and approach, right? So, I'm the thing that I care about at my for my purpose is to be consistent in the things that I articulate and I do, um, and to show people that I'm not perfect, but I'm trending towards. Um, more and more discipline in my consistency in line with those values that I have. And if I can do that, so can my sons as they learn the same things and right. so on. Right. Um so I only want to do things um, that fit those value purpose that value purpose model and the celebration of black economic empowerment. And I think I wanna be at the center of those two concentric circles.
1: And um and moving to Atlanta it sounds it seems like that is part of is this is more than just a geographic play in terms of the weather's yeah. great and all that this is it sounds like this is to help your purpose is that correct
0: yeah well the weather is a little bit better in Yeah, that up. is, is true. That. <laughs> 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 no no i mean it's 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 right like i um look i mean there was the kind of business reason right like our consumers are here right and, um you know it's closer to cincinnati and um you know it's the Second fastest growing city in the country, and like there's all types of like really interesting um, at least business model reasons why we yeah. made the case, but also like you know incredibly diverse. Um, I want my sons to grow up in a world um, where they see folks thriving who look like them. Um, you know, I want to be closer to the culture that I care very deeply about. Um, I want to continue to promulgate the message that I'm sharing with you right now that mm. you know you don't need Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley needs you. Right. Um, But the world needs you, you know, Um, and there are other ways to actually kind of make impact. Um, So, you know, I'm kind of it's it's definitely a part of that purpose and at the center, again, of those two concentric circles. Right. Um, And it makes it make sense for not only me, but also a lot of other people.
1: Now it's interesting as you talk about that and in creating this environment around you and around your your family as well and your company. You know, one of the things I've uh, you know, c- you know, kind of admired as well is that for your customers and in this case, you know, a customer has not had a product that that is theirs. You're you're creating an experience. It's really holistic. It's beyond just. The, the pa- even the packaging, everything's beautiful and elegant and there's experience that it's special. But you have newsletters and bubble coats. Talk about kind of the importance of creating that experience or this culture for your customers. You know, why that's so important for you?
0: Look, I mean, our customers are people before anything else, right? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, respect. One of the values. I have to have respect for the desired types of authenticity that we have. Um, it's important that we feel that inspiration you know you got to have the courage mm-hmm. to make the right kind of judgment decisions you know, I have to be loyal to their needs you know um, that consistency of language is something that as people we want even before we're consumers and not only that i'm a consumer of our own brand right um so like You know, I want Bevel to succeed because I want my experience with a Bevel to succeed. And if I kind of die on the hill as Bevel's own customer, then I will have still changed my life for the better. (laughs) You know, Um, I've just been very fortunate that there's a tribe of folks that are like me that believe in the same things that we do.
1: You, you have this now with bubble, obviously it's based in Atlanta, you're in Atlanta, you're part of Procter and Gamble. You're running the company as it's, you know, you are running the company, the bubble, but how is it just from a Just leadership perspective in general, you go from, you know, kind of a venture back company and, um, although you always have someone that you have to be accountable to when, when people invest in you, I think that's a reality. I think people probably forget as well too, but you're now part of this massive, massive global brand with hundred years of history, traditions, whatever you want to call it. So how do you keep your culture, your entrepreneurial energy as part of this big company? And also how do you take advantage of being part of this big uh, organization as well?
0: Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, some of it was in the upfront work before we even partnered together. It was like, here are the things that are gonna be critical to mitigating the potential negative impacts of integration. Number one, autonomy, right? So, you know, I need to be CEO of Walker & Company so that we can maintain as best as we can the culture and the expectations that we have. Um, Moving to Atlanta allows us to really solidify that um, kind of culture around Blackness, right? Um, Right. That's very, very important for me. Um, And, you know... Our ability to leverage their R&D infrastructure, distribution infrastructure, etc. So over the past 20 months that we've been partnering, they fulfilled their side of the bargain. Hmm. Um, the only difference in my leadership now versus what it used to be is I'm able and should be paying more attention to product, to culture, etc. You know, I would spend 70% hmm. of my time um, before this thinking about how we're going to raise our next round of financing. Yeah. Now think about getting all that time back. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's Where huge. I can actually focus on the business, um, and it's really critical. Like it, 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 um, in in significant ways, not only for walking company, but now I actually get to work with a larger PNG on this stuff. I get to spend time on the boards that I'm on on this stuff, right? And because I'm focused on again that kind of those core messages it allows it to scale more broadly internally and externally because I have more time to, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So the the leadership part is, you know, I need to focus on things that might've been broken in the culture a little bit more um, distinctly. Right. I need to focus on things that might've been broken in kind of the the operational discipline um, in the business. Um, Because also, you know, now we're a part of a company that is wildly profitable and they think about things um, so profitably, right, <laughs> um, that there's an expectation of our also delivery there. So I also get to level up that skill set as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's been a really interesting, um, you know, experience over the past 20 months, but it's not without um, a recognition that it was probably going to be this way anyway, because the, each of us, um, Procter Gamble and Walker and Company were so thoughtful in the upfront of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're able to kind of limit any or um, really the negative downstream impacts of immigration.
1: Now, how? how um, and, and by the way, I think that perspective, as I was reflecting here, coming from a corporate background, I think it's also a, a nice lesson, even for you know, you talk a lot to entrepreneurs, but someone in the corporate world is probably not a really appreciating how much time they don't have to spend on something that someone else in the CFO suite is worrying about capital structure and all yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. that. you know, So focus on your business, focus on your customers, focus on your strategy. Yeah, how far out yeah. do you think in terms of strategy, Tristan? Do you, I mean, obviously being a part of a big company, there's that like quarterly pressure and all that. But do you think in terms of three-year, five-year, 10-year, 100-year? How, how do you think of that? I
0: mean, this is a, oh, that's the other thing. Now I can think in terms of like we have like a three-year strategic plan. I mean, yeah. before this, you know, we were only thinking about the next three months. So it's funny, like I mean, wow. people think that like startups have long term thinking, yeah. But if you don't have the capital to have long term thinking, you can't think long term, right. Um Whereas you think that that's the case in like a public company. But like the weird part about us is, look, we have great revenues, right, and we're growing. But you know, Procter Gamble makes eighty plus billion dollars a year. Like we're a rounding error, <laughs> right. <laughs> theoretically, <laughs> right? Like I mean. That net, net, right, despite how like big a business we are now, it's still, I mean, yeah. so, you know, you can still think a little bit long term now, right, um, which is actually very cool. And as, you know, as we're, you know, executing against our strategic plans, we can always adjust, right, and those adjustments will have impacts for years, two and three. Um, that's just an interesting and completely different way um, of thinking about it, but I have the time to now, right, um, so I can be very thoughtful yeah. about it. And again, um, you know. It's interesting context, not only in the you know, P&G, let's build things profitably world, but getting a POV while sitting on public boards, too, has been really interesting as well, right? Because, yeah. you know, great businesses take time. P&G has been doing this for 180 years. I've only been around for seven, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and there's a method to this, right? Um, an approach um, that, you know, you can realize excellence. But we have the benefit of being able to take our time right. um, which which I also appreciate
1: and and to speak of uh, public boards you uh this year joined the boards of Foot Locker and and Shake Shack so how was that, that to be just i mean incredible brands that was so much of course one's a newer brand one has a lot of legacy how how is that and how you know when, how important is that to you
0: very i um Two brands I care dearly about. I mean, I yeah. had um, uh, a relationship with Footlocker since I was five years old, hmm. six years old, right? Um, <laughs> in some capacity, in all of its brands, I've had a relationship with Shake Shack since its first location in New York. Like I've, um, and but most important, and folks ask, well, they're pretty different companies. Well, they're not. Right. Um, you know, there are companies that actually care about those three things I told you about: demographic shifts happening in this country, tech enablement, and brands as a force for good. Um, you know, you look at Foot Locker and Shake Shack; overwhelm the majority of their employees, particularly at the front line, are folks who look like me. When I think about opportunities for economic advancement, um, educational advancement, et cetera, being at the board level and kind of working on governance to help kind of um, evangelize, celebrate that is very real. Right, right. Um, this is tens of thousands of people, um, right. it's very real, um, so I get very excited um about my potential contribution to it, and it is not outside of the narrative that you and I have already been talking about. Um, right. so I'm man, very fortunate. um you know, I had like my board c v last year of like types of representative companies I'd like to be a part of um and this is before i really even started on that process going around asking people for advice like how should you think about kind of public boards am i ready for it et cetera? Right. and Foot Locker and shake jack were two logos in that in that um board cd um and it's just wonderful wonderful timing um wonderful opportunities wonderful connections that i was able to make and serendipity right. that allowed me to be on those boards at my age as a black man um in the environment that we're in now right so you know sometimes i just have to step back and when i talk about (laughs) values wrapped in this ball of faith like that's exactly what i mean you know
1: yeah well you know and it's a great brands and i'm sure there'll be more coming your way as as well too with uh with your approach to leadership here um i I want to also make sure we talk a little bit about your foundation your foundation you know what's that about has i know there's a lot of us is focused in terms of Getting um, black and brown talent into tech, particularly in the Valley, is that, is that still focused in the Valley? Is it expanding? Maybe talk a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so it.
0: focus. So Code 2040, you know, the goal is to activate, connect, and mobilize the largest racial equity community in tech. Yeah. Um, what we're most well-known for is our Code 2040 Fellows Program. It's a program that started back in 2012. Um, where we would get the highest performing Black and Latinx engineering undergraduates internships out in Silicon Valley and provide them with all the tools they need to be incredibly successful, Damn. fireside one-on-one chats with tech luminaries, media training right with Bloomberg Studios, like that sort of stuff, um, and you know it's gone really, really well. Uh, you know we have a ninety-plus percent full-time offer rate, which is higher than Silicon Valley standard rate. Um, it's one of the more successful not-for-profit programs out there, which you know, I'm very, very excited about. This was this predated Walker Company. Yeah. It was just something that I cared very deeply about um, and I wanted to act. Um, and we acted. Now uh, our scope is broadening um, to mm-hmm. kind of what I mentioned around this idea of activation and connection yeah. um, as it relates to kind of racial equity in tech. and tech in a time like this especially important.
1: Absolutely. So, so, be, so definitely beyond the valley as well, too. And imagine eventually. I mean, that's to, the hope.
0: And in, in yeah. terms of the impact, right? Um, our fellows program is focused uh, on Silicon Valley for now, but yeah. you know, we're we're thinking about ways that we can expand in a way that's truly scalable.
1: So, Tristan, you know, as we uh, get close to time here, um, just just um, just a few. Actually, let me ask you a few. You know, a few quick questions. A few kind of rapid-fire questions. A few things. You know, maybe a little fun. Uh, maybe explore uh, you a little bit here. So um, so, so let's see here. Uh, so first of all, uh, that, remind me, how long
0: have you been in Atlanta now? Has it been? 15 months. 15, 15 months? 16 months. Yeah, we moved in April last year.
1: So I know part of your time here has been in quarantine. <laughs> so this question here, so favorite favorite restaurant or food? And it could be in Atlanta or it could be in the Valley. It could be anywhere.
0: Ooh, good question. Um, there is... A restaurant near us called Ten Degrees South, oh, yeah? a, um, which is South African cuisine, which I really really like. It's a great spot.
1: Great, perfect. Um, do you have a? Uh, what's your favorite uh, kind of getaway when you're able to get away?
0: <laughs> yeah, I like to be in my r- room reading books. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly like my respite.
1: Do you do you do you think of yourself as an introvert or or? Uh... Yeah, I don't want to um, assume just because you like that you're an introvert, but do you think you're? No, that I like think
0: a, I think a lot of people would be surprised by this fact. I very much am. I think a lot of people yeah. kind of believe that I'm extrovert, but you know, it's just my job. Yeah. Um, but I, but I'd much rather kind of be home with my family, reading books and hanging out with them all day. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah.
1: What is your pet peeve? Whether it's with your your company your family maybe that's a, maybe it's maybe both
0: um, lack of organization
1: hmm yeah that's a good one
0: yeah
1: <laughs> what is um, the thing that drives your family and or your co-workers crazy about you oh well. <laughs> Um, a little self refl- little self-reflection time here, Tristan.
0: I think that it is a combination of stubbornness, combined with like mystery mm. um, because I am so um, you know to myself a lot. Um, that would be my guess.
1: Gotcha. Well, I'm going to package that for you. I mean, there's something called visionary drive. We'll, we'll just call it bad and it'll sound like you know, <laughs> <you're> just <laughs> focus on your vision and driving it forward. That's so, funny. Which, probably, which probably there's some truth to that too. Uh, and going back, I know you said you like to be uh, to um, to your a reader like to be with a book. What's your favorite? Whether it's a book or a movie or a show, um, you know, oh,
0: a bunch. Um, I mean, if you think about shows, you know, my favorite ones are um, The Wire. Friday Night Lights, those yeah. are my two favorite shows ever. Um, if it's books, gosh, I mean, it's like, how much time do you have? Exactly. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite poets, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wrote a uh, kind of a bunch of poems called Lyrics of a Lonely Life, which I really, really love, I always kind of come back to um you know i'm a big fan of um kind of roman antiquity and grecian antiquity work one in particular of polybius histories wrote about the 53 years when rome went from obscurity to dominance which i think is just wonderful as you know we think so much about rome like and always a point of reference um but they were able to build rome in 53 years you know Um, and what a interesting you know you think about building companies etc and legacy it can be done, you know, now, you know, not without all types of (laughs) bad things like colonialism among other things, (laughs) but but, um, you know, the, the idea of empire is very interesting. Um, Mm. And really the, the, the negative things that come with it and what you can learn from that is very interesting. Um, Gosh, I'm reading cast right now by Isabel Wilkerson um, who also wrote the warmth of other sons and, Wonderful book, particularly very timely. Um, God, I can go for days with this. It. it
1: sounds like we need <laughs> to have you back to have a book club with Tristan. Um, and, you know, yeah. we could probably have a full hour on that. It's at a least a whole
0: season long podcast. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> maybe. The,
1: the, the, oh. Hey, there's an idea there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, and, and and by the way, as we start. Uh, as we wrap up here, um, and actually getting away from the quick questions, but as we think about uh, wrapping up, and I know you're a father. Um, how, old are you, how old are your kids? Uh,
0: um, you have two boys, correct? Yeah, my oldest is turning six in September, and my youngest about fifteen months.
1: Okay, so I know as a father myself, you know my kids are much older, but I know that for me they are my, you know, inspiration and a drive. So, so with that, um, and and uh, and by the way, a father of all boys, so we could compare notes here. Yeah, yeah. Um, what 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 is it that you would? What's the kind of the legacy you want to leave for your kids? Whether it's you know twenty years, thirty years, forty years from now, when they reflect back and think of you as their dad, at yeah, the, you know I mean, this moment, what's that legacy? That's
0: easy. That's easy. I mean, I I think it's a couple of things. Number one, um, I want them to feel like they can produce at the highest level in the same way that you know anyone else on this planet can, right? Um, or it should be able to be. Uh, producing, um, you know, I have had the wonderful opportunity to create something that matters, um, and I want them to create something that matters. Second, I want them to be treated, um, uh, and treated and respected as the consumers, um, you know, that they'll inevitably be with the respect for their own purchasing power, influence, etc. Uh, third, and I think this is really important for me, I want them to be able to choose the path, profession, et cetera, that gives them the most passion. It was something that I was not afforded when I was younger. I felt that there was a kind of defined track that I had to go in. But now I'm very fortunate and um, you know, uh, blessed to give them the opportunity to do the thing that they feel that they can be the best in the world at doing. And that, to me, you know, I want them to be able to offer that legacy to their children to the extent that they decide to have any. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But to promulgate that message to everyone in their orbit, I think we should all have the opportunity to be able to be the best in the world at something and live in that authenticity in a way that is without judgment, is Mm -hmm. without bias um, and is respected.
1: Well, that's just great and, and trust it's a great way to kind of wrap up here um and for, so one i want to thank you again for being in the destructor studio we could have gone we could have a show just on so many aspects we that's fun I, and, and i feel bad because we we uh, you know we, we there's we i feel like we just touched the surface of so much so i'm sure we'll be you know talking again soon i i, I you know i think about you you are definitely the definition i think of when we talk about disruptors on the Disruptor Studio. So I do thank you for being here, uh, Tristan, and for inspiring many.
0: I appreciate it. There's more work to be done. That's right.
1: That was Tristan Walker here on the Disruptor Studio, and I am sure you are inspired. How can you not be with Tristan? We could spend the whole day talking about everything from leadership to brand to ex- customer experience to black empowerment and an entrepreneurism. It goes on and on and on. Tristan's perspectives are tremendous. I thank him again for being here in the Disruptor studio and hope you find some nuggets of inspiration that helps you on your own personal goal. So make sure you keep following us here and uh, subscribe. And we'll be back again in two weeks with more leaders that inspire innovation, transformation, and greatness. I am Alex Gonzalez, and we'll talk again soon.